Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to Patreon.GreatDetectives.net. And I do want to go ahead and thank our latest Patreon supporter. Thank you to John coming on at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, John. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Philo Vance. Original air date, July the 26th, 1949, and the title is The Cheesecake Murder Case. Stop. Stop teasing or I won't give it to you at all. Oh, yes. Yes, you will. And right now. Oh. Come on, Jenny. You know I'm dying to see what you made me. Oh, it must be important to you if you left that piece of cheesecake. What's the matter? Don't you feel well, darling? <sighs> I, I, I feel very fine and very curious. Oh, sorry. You're going to have to wait and you're going to have to stop pestering me uh, while you're waiting. And that's all there is to it. Pestering? You think I've been pestering you? Oh, yes. Well, wait till you find out what a pest I can be. <laughs> Jane Ashley, you made me a present. I want it. At least I want to know what it is. Yes. Uh, cheesecake. You made me a cheesecake. Oh, you think I'm that silly. <laughs> cheesecake has been my rival for your affections ever since I've known you. No, no cheesecake. Uh-huh. Pair of socks? What? So I'd have another pair of socks to wash after we get married? <laughs> oh, no. No socks. Well, a sweater. That's what it is, a sweater. Oh, you're not even lukewarm. Oh, um... All right, you little imp. I've taken enough of this. Are you going to tell me or aren't you? Depends on what you have to tell me. I love you, darling, very much. Oh, well, in that case, I've got your present right here in the drawer. Good. Here it is. You like it? Hey, that's swell, a mask. That's right, Billy. Oh, I get awfully worried when you go out to do a job. Somebody might recognize you sometime. Wear this mask I made you. Sure I will, honey. And thanks. Mm. Pretty good idea, too. That guy last night could have identified me, sure, if, if he'd lived. With my record, they'd have grabbed me in an hour. I'm glad you like your present, Billy. And that's pretty, and, and it's practical. Shows you think of me when I'm not here. Mm. I like that. I like thinking about you when you're not here. It's the next best thing to having you here, Billy. Uh-oh. Oh, What's the matter? Matter? Look at the time. Mike's waiting downstairs for me in the car. I got a job to pull right now, Jane. Oh. A photographer who's working bright and early in the morning and keeps all his cash in the studio. Oh, well, call me right afterwards, darling, and... And, darling, wear the mask for luck. Sure. But I won't need too much luck, honey. If that photographer resents being robbed, he's the one that's going to need it. <laughs> Sally? Bored. It's a little 
little trying being Miss Outdoors at 7 in the morning. <laughs> Just hold that tennis racket a little higher over your head, honey. Uh-huh. That's good. If I get this picture, it'll be the last one. Morning sun is just what I need. Beats artificial lighting a mile. (laughs) Last one if it's good, kid. Oh, pleasant words, Mr. Merton. Very pleasant words. How's this? Fine, but just tilt your head up a little bit. Huh? Good. Keep your left hand away from your legs. Got to have legs in the picture or the clients won't buy. Neither will the customers. What would I do without legs, I wonder? I spend hours every day making up my face, going to beauty parlors about my hair, and what's the most important part of the picture? My legs. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Merton, you're a pretty wealthy man. Why do you work this hard and this early? Well, Sally, I'm like my clients and their customers. Uh-huh. I like legs, too. <laughs> now, now, hold it just that way while I take a look in the camera. Right. I've got a hunch that this is... Okay, Rembrandt, hold it just where you are. Oh! Well, what have we got here? <laughs> a guy, a gun, and a mask. Oh, Mr. Merton, please. You sure you're in the right place, buddy? Don't you wish I weren't? Oh, don't point You that. over there in the stand. Stop the yapping. Oh, you won't get hurt. You won't either, Sonny, if you're a nice guy and hand over the dough in that safe over there. Stick up, huh? Okay, come on over and get it. That was the general idea of my coming here. Now, don't try anything cute, pal. Just hand me the dough that's in there and I'll get out of here. Well, what are you waiting for? Just till I get near enough to you to... Oh, sucker! Wait! Dirty! Shut up, sister! Shut up! Haven't I had trouble enough? Shut up, I said! All right, I'll shut you up! I gotta get out of here. Gotta get to that telephone. I gotta... Hello? Call the police. Man here wearing a mask. Killed Mr. Merton. Shot me. Stop him. Stop him. Hope you don't mind dropping into this hotel lobby, Vance. No, not at all. My secretary was to leave an envelope for me at the desk so I wouldn't have to go all the way downtown to my office this morning. I don't mind, Markham. We still have an hour before court opens. Uh, will you be long? Just long enough to pick up the envelope so I can have it with me in court. That's the trouble with being a district attorney. You have to spend so much time in court. Personally, I prefer trying to find criminals whom you can take to court. It's more exciting, more of a challenge to the imagination. You ever hear a murderer's alibi, Vance? That's generally the height of imagination. But today's case isn't a murder. It's a case where two men... Just a moment. Phone call for me? Apparently. A boy. Oh, boy. Yes, sir? Hi, Mr. Markham. There's a call for you in booth three, sir. Thank you, boy. Just a moment. There you are. Thank you. Come on, Vance. It's probably my secretary just telling me that she didn't finish the papers in time and that she'll bring them directly to court, but we'll see. I hope that isn't what the call is, Markham. (laughs) You'd like it to be a murder, wouldn't you? No, but if there were a murder, I'd like to be in on it at the beginning. (laughs) Here we are, Markham. Uh, booth three. Here it is. Excuse me, Vance. Certainly. Hello, Markham speaking. D.A., Sergeant Heath, homicide. Your secretary told me where I could reach you. What's up, Heath? Murder, D.A. Stick up and murder. Guy broke into the studio of a rich photographer named Merton early this morning. Shot him when he tried to resist. Merton? Yeah, he's dead. Guy also shot Merton's model, but she was able to call downstairs to the switchboard. Go on, Heath. Well, the switchboard guy tried to stop the killer, but he took a smack on the head from the guy's gun instead. Staggered out front in time to see the guy race away in a sedan. 
Got the license number and called it in. Good. We get one break on the case anyway. Ah, we get more than one, D.A. Just got a call at headquarters that a radio car spotted the sedan and is chasing it. Thought you'd like to know. I certainly would. I'll come down to headquarters with Philo Vance. Heath, wait there for me, will you? Sure. Oh, look, do you have to bring Vance? This is no case for a mastermind, D.A. If we get the car, we'll get the guy in it that shot Merton. Why bring Vance in on this? I'll tell you why, Heath. He and I were going to court. As long as we're together, and as long as there's been a murder, there's no way I know to keep Philo Vance away. Step on it, Mike. We've got to get more speed. That prowl car's picking up on us. I can't help it, Billy. I got my foot on the floorboard now. We're doing better than 70. Keep going and stop slowing up for those curves. That's what's holding us up. we got to slow up for him, Billy. This crate will crash if we don't. They ain't banked too good. Keep close to the inside. We'll pick up a little time their way. The cops are taking the turns wide. Well, whatever they're doing, it's working for them. They... I don't like this. I'm scared. Keep going, dope. Keep your foot down on the gas. I'll stop those cops. When they get close enough, maybe I'll throw a shot at them just for luck. Better wait till after we get around this bend, Billy. Hold on! This is a tough one! The wheel, Mike! Stay with that wheel! The car! We gotta... Mike! The guy we were chasing is still inside, nice and pretty. Just waiting for us to show up. Of course, he can't very well do anything about being hospitable or nothing on account of... Yeah, he's dead. Ah. It's a good morning's work for us. Sure. I guess I'll go back to car and radio headquarters, huh? Why not? Just tell him that some guy tried a stick-up and we chased him. Of course, we didn't catch up to him, but that doesn't matter. On account of death, did. <laughs> I've been so worried. That radio said that a well, man... That was Mike, Janie. He drove me from the studio after I killed the photographer. Oh. And when our car crashed, I got out and planted the gun and mask on him and beat it just in time to duck the cops. Oh, Billy, I'm so glad you called. I've been absolutely frantic. No need to be, Janie, girl. Oh. The only trouble with this morning was the fact that I didn't get what I wanted at the studio. Oh, shucks. Be over at your place in a couple of hours. Wait for me. You know I will. Oh, that present you gave me, that mask? Yeah. Well, it's been picked up by the cops, naturally. Uh-huh. Only they think that Mike was alone in the car and that he killed the camera guy. Well, good. Very lucky present you gave me. Oh, I'm glad, Billy. And I'll make you something else, a surprise. Do that, baby. Uh, make it a cheesecake surprise. I had to leave a nice, fresh cheesecake I bought in the car when Mike got killed. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> Quite a good driver, Sergeant Heath. You got us out here to the scene of the crash very quickly. Right, Markham? Right, Vance. Although I don't know what you can expect to find out here. Except a wrecked car used for a getaway after a stick-up and a killing. The dead killer's body has been removed, Vance, but nothing else has been touched. Why did you want to take a look at the car? I'm not sure yet, Markham. Perhaps I had no reason. But I'll know that better after I take a look inside it. Coming, Markham? Yes, of course. Heath? Oh, not me, D.A. I've been out here once this morning. It's too hot in the sun for me. You two go ahead. I'll wait in the car. 
We wrapped up this stick-up murder in short order, don't you think, Vance? Well... And we got a hospital report that the model the killer shot will recover. All in all, it sounds like a good morning's work. Even though you didn't get to court. (laughs) (laughs) I have several capable assistants, Vance. They took care of matters there for me. Well, here we are. Ah. Car's not wrecked as badly as I thought. It crashed into that tree with enough force to kill the driver. And the driver was the man who held up and killed Merton, the photographer. So I guess that's all that could be asked of it. I suppose that's right. Markham, there's a folded top coat on the back seat of the sedan. Next to it, a package. There's a cheesecake in that package, Vance. And that's where the police found it, and the coat. They went through the coat, but there were no means of identification in it. Fingerprints told us nothing either, by the way. Something is telling me something, Markham. What are you doing with that sunshade, Vance? Putting it back up to its normal position, my friend. Just want to see if it could have been jarred down by the crash. Well, could it? I doubt it very much. In fact, Markham, I'm not even sure whether you've got your killer or not. Now, Vance, please. The man was seen running out of the studio building. He was chased by the phone operator who got this license number. Police cars picked up the trail almost immediately, and one of our cars was chasing this one when it crashed. The murderer wouldn't have had a chance to get out and turn the car over to a confederate while the chase was on. Oh, that's right, but I still think there were two people in this car. And it's very possible that the murderer got away. I don't know why you think that, but as long as you do, what are you going to do about it? Up until this minute, we thought we had a complete case in the killing of Mr. Merton. We found the murder gun and the mask here in the car. We have what we want. I doubt whether you have. And I doubt whether I'm going to be of any help to you till I find the other man that was riding in this car when it crashed early this morning. And that, Markham, is going to be a man-sized job. This is District Attorney Markham. The Cheesecake murder case opened with the murder of George Merton photographer who specialized in leg art, known colloquially as Cheesecake. His model, Sally Burns, is in a hospital recovering from a bullet wound. And Philo Vance and I have inspected a car in which we believe the murderer fled the scene of the crime. The car, the driver dead at the wheel, seemed to have solved the case, but Vance is of the opinion that another man was in the car and escaped. His identity, if there was such a person, is unknown. Who he is, or where he is. Read it to me again, Jenny. I like to hear it. Uh-huh. Uh, just the part where I fooled him. <laughs> All right. Mmm. Gee, this is good cheesecake. Where'd you get it? Huh? Oh, the usual place, Rawley's. Uh-huh. Okay, Billy, here we go. Sergeant Heath of the Homicide Department is confident that the murderer of George Merton was killed in the crash that followed a wild chase through the suburb of Arlingville. The car was identified as the one in which the killer fled, with the telephone operator in Merton's building supplying the identification. Great. Sally Burns, Merton's model, identified the mask found on the dead driver as that worn by the hold-up man, and the gun in the driver's pocket has been checked and proven to be the murder weapon. (laughs) Well, that's it, Billy. Oh, I guess I'm pretty smart, huh? Oh, I never doubted that for a minute, honey. Well, hey. Hey, listen to this. Another story on the murder. What? It says, Philo Vance, noted private investigator, in an interview today said that he believed a second man was riding what? in the car, which the police believed to be the one used by the murderer of George Merton. Give me a paper. Vance refused to give any reasons for his belief but it is understood that District Attorney Markham is placing great faith in Vance's theory and has referred it to Homicide Sergeant Heath. What do you know about that? I don't get it. Me neither. 
How could Vance think there was somebody else in that car? Oh, gee. How could he know about me? The cops chasing us never got a look. They couldn't know there were two people in the car. Golly. I didn't leave anything there except the cheesecake. Hey, what could Vance mean? What could Vance mean, Billy? Well, Vance could mean that he's just as smart as you are. Don't bet. Sweetheart, this little clam bake this morning didn't work out according to plan. I got no dough from Merton, but I know where there's a load of it just waiting to be taken. Where, Billy? There's a factory payroll getting made up this afternoon. I got the place cased. It'll be a snap. After that, wedding bells. Okay with you, sweetheart? Oh, sure. Do a good job, honey. I will. A good job, and I buy a string of pearls for you. Oh. A bad job, and the state gives me a rope for free. Just dump the money out of the bag, Freddy. I done my job. Guarded you when you went to the bank for the money. Right. Huh, here we are. $30,000 worth of Uncle Sam's calling cards. <laughs> it was sure shaky when I carried it from the bank, even with you around. Well, here's the greenback shower. I sure wouldn't mind getting caught in that kind of rain. <laughs> I guess not. All in tens and twenties, Pat. Oh, uh, hand me the payroll list, will you, so I can begin to fill the envelopes? Sure. Here you are. Hey, nobody's allowed in here. I know. I like that. Then we won't be interrupted. Huh? All right, put all the dough back in the bag you just dragged from the bank. Come on, get moving. Stick up, huh? I ain't playing games. Now, don't either of you be a patsy because the dough isn't yours. It belongs to the company. But your life belongs to you, and believe me, I'll shoot in a minute. Either of you gets cute, including you, copper. No kidding. I think no, I... No, don't do it, Pat. Don't start anything. I'm giving them the money. Oh. Well, that's being smart, pal. I want the money. I don't want either of you to turn around and get a look at me. And I want five minutes to get away before you start screaming. Well? Everything your own way, huh? Sure. I like me. I'm entitled to that. All right, get moving. Get the dough in the bag so I can get out of here. I suppose you're wondering why we're going to see the model who was shot, Markham, inasmuch as the police have already questioned her. Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Well, Markham, we've never been up against so hopeless a situation before. I have absolutely no assurance that there were two men in the murder car. Just my theory. We have a topcoat, which means nothing, and a cheesecake, which doesn't help us, and... Well, that's all. Perhaps the model might supply us with a little information. All I can tell you is that she remembers nothing. Apparently, she was hypnotized by the gun in the murderer's hand. But you'll find that out for yourself. Oh, nurse. Yes, Mr. Larkin. You want to see Miss Burns? We'd like to. How is she? She's resting in her room. Please try not to do anything to disturb her. I won't, nurse. I promise you that. Come on, Rats. I'm with you. Hello, Miss Burns. I'd like to present Philo Vance. Hello. How do you do? Miss Burns, Mr. Vance would like to ask you a question or two. Do you feel equal to answering? What do you want to know? I was hoping that you could tell us something about what the hold-up killer looked like. Something that would help us find him. I can't. The police asked me that. I've tried and I can't. When he came into the room, all I could look at was his gun. I kept staring at it, expecting any minute it would shoot. I keep seeing that gun and the middle finger of a man's hand on the trigger. I see it all the time. I see it right now. Oh, 
Please, please don't ask me anything more. Please. I'm sorry, Miss Burns. Please don't be upset. It's all over now. But you've helped us, Miss Burns. Believe me, you have. Come on, Markham. I'm sorry. I'm such a baby. You're not. You're a very brave girl and a very helpful one. Thank you very much. I do hope you feel better. Oh, thank you. Goodbye, Miss Burns. Lance, what did you mean by telling her that what she said was helpful? Trying to make her feel good? Not at all. She was helpful. I'll know exactly how helpful as soon as we make a stop at Raleigh's restaurant. You mean to tell me you found something in this case that ties up with Raleigh's restaurant? Yes. Where was I all this time? Right here with me. I'll admit this much. Raleigh's is just a guess. But if it's a good guess, I think I'll have your killer for you. You see, I can describe him in a manner so definite that if he'd ever been to Raleigh's, they'd remember him. I don't know how you can do that, of course, but why go to Raleigh's to describe our murderer? Raleigh's makes the best cheesecake in town. That may be, but I don't like cheesecake. I know, but our murderer does. I hope. I'm proud of our cheesecake, Vance. It's famous all over the country, and this cheesecake you have is definitely ours. That's what I thought when I borrowed it from the police, Mr. Raleigh. You might be of great assistance to me and the police if I could describe a man with a completely distinguishing characteristic, one whom I imagine is very fond of cheesecake. Would you identify him? Oh, well, I hardly think so. So many people like cheesecake. I was hoping that perhaps you'd sent cakes to his apartment at some time or other. And if you had, that perhaps you could give us the address. We have a record of every customer's name and address, Vance. But uh, you'd have to describe the man pretty well if I'm going to come even close to recognizing him. I'll describe him so well that there isn't a chance of your not knowing him if he happened to be one of your customers, Mr. Raleigh. And if he did happen to be one of your customers, he's as good as caught right now. Hello, Sergeant Heath. Glad you're here. Hello, Heath. I, 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 I down to this address just as soon as I got word that you and Mr. Markham wanted me to meet you, Vance. What's up? Heath, Sally Burns, the model, told Vance that she was fascinated by the killer's middle finger around his gun when he broke into Merton's studio. Well, sure. That's why she couldn't even come close to describing the guy. That and the fact that he wore a mask. I'll take it from there, Markham. Okay. You wait down here, if you will. Heath, come with me. All right. Where? Up the stairs of this house. Keep your eyes open, Markham. I will. Luck to you, Vance. Thanks. Now, Heath, when that model told me that the killer's middle finger was around the gun, that got me thinking. Nobody shoots a gun with his middle finger. It's always the index finger. Yeah, that's right. Lower your voice now, Sergeant, please. We have to walk up a flight of steps to grab our killer. Hey, what happened after you figured out there was something wrong with the trigger finger, Vance? You remember the cheesecake found in the murderer's car, Heath? Yeah, sure. Why? I brought it to Raleigh's restaurant. It was made by them, all right. Uh, so? So I gave Mr. Raleigh a description of the man I knew was the real killer, Heath. I told him the man we were looking for had a paralyzed index finger. Hey, that's probably right. Else why would he shoot a gun with his middle finger? No reason. Heath, Mr. Raleigh remembered a customer whose finger was paralyzed. Yeah? Huh? He looked up his records and found that he had delivered cheesecakes to him several times. Gave us his name, Bill Avery, and his address. I get it. And we're crawling up to his apartment now, is that it? That's it. Now, I know he's in there because while Markham and I were waiting for you, we spotted him. And this is his apartment door. Wait. What for? Just wanted to try the door. Might have been unlocked, but it's not. Quiet now. Nobody inside. Shh. 
Yes, there is heat. I hear somebody moving around. Come on, help me break down this door now. All right. <coughs> One more ought to do it, Vance. There you are. Hey, there goes a guy trying to get out the window of the fire escape. Grab him, Vance. Don't worry, I will. Leave him to me. Get downstairs and help Markham head him off in case I don't get him. Right. Pretty smart, aren't you? But you haven't got me yet. Slight difference of opinion, my friend. I'm getting out on that fire escape with you. And that's what you think? Oh, well, that won't stop me from getting out there with you. Okay, smart guy. You're going down the fire escape the hard way over the rail. I'm not. I I doubt it. Help! Help me! I'm falling! Ah! Hey, Vance, is this the killer down here? Yes, Markham. That was our murderer. Markham, I know. You want me to tell you why I was so sure there were two men in the murder car. On a sunny morning like this, Vance, I'm entitled to be enlightened, don't you think? (laughs) I think. (laughs) Well, Markham, the first reason was this. You and I are driving in your car. The sun is out and you have the sunshield pulled down. Of course. It keeps the sun out of my eyes when I'm driving. Right. Well, the sunshield on my side is pulled down, too. That's because I don't want the sun in my eyes. There were two sunshields on the murder car, both pulled down. Yeah, that would indicate there was a passenger in the murder car, come to think of it. Not conclusively, of course. But then there was that cheesecake and a topcoat belonging to the dead driver across the back seat. Why the back seat, Markham? I don't know. The natural thing to do with a topcoat if you're alone in a car is to throw it over the seat next to you. Except if there's somebody sitting in that seat. Right. I see now why you knew there were two men in the car, Vance. Wonderful observation. Thank you. Merely a combination of circumstances that couldn't be explained any other way to my satisfaction. Now, Markham, you know why, in the beginning, I insisted that the dead driver was not necessarily our murderer. Yes, I do. I know why you insisted in the beginning, and also how you found him at the end of the cheesecake murder case. Welcome back. Well, that was one of the tamest descriptions of what cheesecake pictures are. 
that you will ever hear. I think the writers were really proud of themselves for coming up with an episode title that had a double meaning. My problem with the plot is that there is really an assumption that you can have a crash in a car that is going 70 miles per hour and maintain a lot of physical evidence where you can discern uh, fine detail. I mean, a 70 mile per hour crash and the cheesecake is in good enough shape that a bakery can say, yes, that is one of our cheesecakes without a brand box on it. Because if you'd had a branded box, you wouldn't have to have taken it to the bakery for identification. I mean, I've had a cake get totally ruined by just stopping too hard. So that seems ridiculous. Now, I know cars were made of sturdier materials, which may impact the outcome of a 70 mile per hour crash in a lot of ways. Although again, I'll leave that to people who are experts on that. I, I do find it funny that our criminal survived a 70 mile an hour crash in the era before seatbelts and somehow escapes uh, unscathed alive, you know, and the only thing he's lost is his piece of cheesecake. Might want to be a bit more shaken up about that, I'm just saying. One thing I will say is I do like the relationship between him and his girlfriend. Usually the relationships, particularly between criminals, are uniformly bad. But they seem to genuinely love each other and be fond of each other. That's not to say that she's not horrible, but she's horrible in a different way. In a uh, laugh, be sweet, and light about your uh, fiancé planning to go out and murder people. It's a nice change of pace. Uh, one thing that I did notice, the owner of the bakery, I recognized the voice, and I realized who it was. It's Bernard Linro, who uh, played the voice of uh, Captain Logan on Casey Crime Photographer. And it's an interesting performance, and it really, you know, if you listen to that and you listen to Captain Logan back-to-back, -back, you might strain to even realize it's the same actor. But it's a good illustration how pitch and tone and speed of speaking really can help you create an entirely different character if you're an actor, even if you don't do like a lot of different accents or voices like, say, a Paul Freeze or Frank Graham. Listener comments and feedback now. And John says, I've been a listener for some years now, and I'm glad to finally join your Patreon support team. Keep those episodes coming. I will do, John, and thank you so much uh, once again for your support. And then we have a couple of comments on YouTube regarding Philo Vance. Luis writes, I used to chase Vance's novels in secondhand stores back in the early 2000s when I was just a kid. There was a collection in the 50s that I used to collect. Now I can listen to the radio shows. It's great. Well, thanks so much. And uh, those books from uh, years ago are so fun to have and it, Think about, you know, how many people have read them and see the special 
care and the little things that they did with uh, book editions back then. Michael says, read a lot of the books years ago. Unfortunately, the moronic and loud organ planes ruins these dramatizations. Well, sorry, Michael, that was Zip Productions' call, not mine. Ken has some thoughts on This Is O'Shea. Adam, thank you for all you do. Even though I support you through Patreon, I feel like I still owe you. Today, I enjoyed the audition tape of This Is O'Shea. I visited all the locations he mentioned, and it brought back memories to me. But my surprise was the great impersonation of Sidney Greenstreet. I've listened to a lot of Greenstreet programs. In fact, that is how I found your Great Detectives of Old Time Radio podcast. I thought it was Greenstreet on today's program. After interviewing the character who was using uh, the Greenstreet imitation voice, O'Shea said, and with that, Mr. Austin clasped his tiny boneless hands over his expansive belly, folded his three expert chins under the one that he was born with, and cl uh, closed his small, greedy eyes. Prior to this audition, Sidney Greenstreet had just spent a couple of years playing Nero Wolf, who was also known for clasping his hands over a huge belly, his multiple chins, and keeping his eyes uh, closed while with clients. Uh, again, thank you for all you do. I really enjoy the personal updates you give us about your family. After all, listening to you daily makes me feel like we are friends. Well, thank you so much, Ken, and uh, I appreciate your comments. I wonder if there was a, not necessarily, you know, overt ripping off of Nero Wolf, but if that was somehow influencing the writers, particularly if they were thinking about Green Street. Because the Nero Wolf books were quite popular at the time. Sometimes you get an idea in your head and you don't even realize that you're borrowing from something else. I actually wrote a book in the early 2000s where one of the characters said that at their apartment house they had three roommates, no more, no less. And my brother, in his own unenable way, had to point out to me that I was ripping off the wording from The Phantom Menace, a Star Wars film. That's just one of those things that happens when you're writing. Uh, and now we also have a request. Um, Howard contacted me on Facebook, and this one is a bit uh, of a long shot, but we'll give it a shot and see if anyone uh, listening knows the answer. And he writes, could you ask if any of your radio buffs know who played Sherlock Holmes uh, here, please? And this was in the Nitwits Hour, which was a burlesque radio sketch broadcast on CBS and WABC on Saturday evening in the late 20s, early 30s. On November 1929, it turned its attention to Sherlock Holmes, although I've uh, been unable to ascertain which of the nitwits played Holmes. If you have any knowledge of that, uh, please uh, let me know uh, if you know about the nitwits and the Sherlock Holmes production. Well, now it is time to thank our Patreon supporters of the day. Thank you to Christine, Patreon supporter since August 2020, currently supporting us at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you for your support, Christine. 
And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. We will be back next Thursday with another episode of Philo Vance. But join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where... Oh, filthy climate, Donna, filthy. No man in full possession of his God-given senses would ever live out here. I don't understand why you came. Well, you wrote about the possible forthcoming murder of some policyholders, Alistair. Oh, yes, the Harrison Langley business. Utter roughness talk about murder. Dismal obsession of disordered mentality. I wrote that letter only in the line of duty. You don't think there's anything to it? Oh, beastly nonsense. The jungle's breaking Langley down. He's a weakling to start with, no moral fiber. Turn that fan up a bit, huh? Yes, fellas disintegrating under the strain of trying to run that rubber plantation. Then there haven't been any attempts to kill Langley or his wife? Oh, sheer delusion. Concept of a diseased mind. Checked with the police, no reports made. No, jungle's got him. That and the filthy terrorists. His plantation's in terrorist country? Hmm. Sundown some 45 miles north of here. Everything north of Kuala's in terrorist domain. Filthy blighters, ambushing traffic, attacking villages, plantations, murdering, burning, slashing rubber trees. No man's in his right mind would live in this filthy country. Yeah. How do I get out there? I hire an armored car. Only way to travel through the jungle. Take your own chances, though. Might be blown up by landmines. I won't take any responsibility. I'm not asking you to. No, you make your investigation if you have to, Dollar. Won't get you anywhere. Out of waste of time. Then go back home to the States, out of this filthy climate, beastly country. Uh-huh. If you hate this country so much, Alistair, why do you stick around? Huh, good question. Asked myself that many times. Always came up with the same answer. What's that? Making too much money. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.